Welcome back to the MLS podcast. I'm Brianne. And I'm Sophia. We're two law students who created this podcast to talk about law school, law talk, and everything in between. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at the MLS pod and our law school pages at Sophie Law and at Brianne and Law. For this week's episode, we're joined by Ed, aka edk.law on TikTok. Ed is a 2L at UNC Law. And Ed, do you have anything else to add to your intro? Anything important to tell the people? Nothing too important. I'm just happy to be here today. And as a preface, I don't have any technical backgrounds on today's topic, but I am extremely interested in it. And I'm also taking a course on it right now. So I'm very excited to just chat about it today and see where everyone ends up in the conversation. Yeah, none of us have any background in AI. And I think that's the problem. Right? <laughs> right? <laughs> like, how are we going to use AI in the legal field when I like had to Google what AI was? <laughs> exactly. That's that's the issue, right? It's because it's funny when we apply it to the legal field because the legal field is oftentimes so disconnected from like science and math and stuff. And there's there's obviously like this um this idea that like law students go to law school just so that they don't have to do any math. Um, so yeah, this is kind of this is this isn't definitely an interesting time too, just with the advent of chat GPT, especially. Um, I think everyone's kind of waking up to the idea of AI in the workplace and seeing how that all affect various fields. But the legal field is especially interesting, obviously, since we're all law students and we're about to start working soon. So yeah, I think so when it comes to I've seen so much about chat GBT or whatever, I've never used it. I've never looked at it. But I keep seeing a bunch of attorneys tweeting about it. Um, and what's the idea for like how AI could be used? Because we use AI in research all of the time. Like Lexis and Westlaw are based on AI, right? So right. what is this like a just a more advanced AI when it comes to research or like using it for writing memos? I think specifically with chat GPT, because it's a language learning model and you can kind of communicate with it, what those kinds of AI models do is they kind of increase efficiency tenfold, like on an exponential level. So for instance, for contract drafting, AI powered tools can help, you know, lawyers draft contracts quickly and accurately. And these, the tools can also identify potential issues in a contract They can read over contracts in the litigation context, helping you draft a memo. If you're, you know, giving it case law and giving it what the issue is and the set of facts, I think it could be very helpful there too. Um, and obviously that with this efficiency, it comes with a downside, which is, and we'll probably get into it later, the billable hour kind of falling by the wayside because associates are going to become more efficient whether you're on the transactional side of things or the litigation side of things. Um, and then there's also like the predictive analytics side of things where the AI can just like look at huge like patterns and data sets and come out with legal outcomes just based on that alone. And it'll come up with it in 30 seconds instead of hundreds of hours given to first year associates. So yeah. That's really interesting because I, I purposely used it this week. Like I signed up or whatever and like used it because I had a memo that I had to write for my externship. So I wrote the memo and then I asked ChatGPT what statutes it would have like pulled for my question. And it pulled like the exact same ones that I used in the memo, like after I turned it in. So I was like, 
Okay, that's a little freaky. I'm a little freaked out. That's interesting because, so I haven't done it, but a professor at our school, um, Professor Hirsch, I don't know if you know him, Ed, he does like all of our employment stuff at UNC and he asked chat GPT to give him some NLRB cases on a certain issue and it literally just fictionalized cases, gave him completely fake cases. Yeah, I mean, Professor Professor Hirsch, I had him for um, for contracts, but he's like one of the foremost like employment law scholars in the nation. So to see him, to think of him sitting there with ChatGPT and like asking it to answer and it's just giving him fake cases he's never heard of is really, really funny. But, I, you know, what I've noticed is actually some of the 1L classes are a little bit better suited towards like asking it for case law and stuff like that. Um, but like I was asking it secure transaction stuff about like, article nine and it wasn't giving me the correct answers back. So um, I don't know, maybe it needs to be fed more information on article nine or something like that, but it's definitely interesting. Um, the fact that it's just inventing case law out of thin air. Yeah. That's spooky. That is very spooky. I don't like that at all. So I think the big topic of discussion right now is like, people are going to stop hiring as many associates because AI will be used to either do some work of associates or make associates work a lot more efficient. Personally, I find that hard to believe, but I know that you've had some discussion about this in your AI class. So what do you think is the likelihood of that? Yeah. So we had, uh, we had a guy come in um, who you know, has a lot of interfacing with big, big law partners. And um, from what big law partners have told him, especially these big law partners in some of these tech groups, is that what they're going to see, you know, more and more at their own firms is they're going to see this pyramid model shift, because, you know, we have a couple partners at the top, and then we have maybe double the amount of senior associates below them. And then we have double the amount of senior associates or double the amount of senior associates as junior associates. So it's a pyramid model with a few at the top and it all kind of feeds up to the top and that's how profits generated. Um, but if the billable hour, you know, if the requirement has to be lower for clients because everything's just more efficient, you're going to see that pyramid shift to a lot to something that isn't a pyramid anymore. It's probably going to resemble more something like a tower, you know, where everything's equal and they'll have a few junior associates at the bottom running through the AI tasks. And those junior associates will be chosen based on how proficient they are at using the AI. But the senior associate will check off that all the work that was done by the AI and by the junior associate is okay. And then, you know, the partner will sign off as they always do or add more to it if it's a nuanced issue or, you know, deal or, you know, lit in the litigation context, like a, a groundbreaking case. But it was kind of interesting to listen to. Um, but I'd, I, I have questions like, what do you guys think about that? Do you think, you know, this pyramid model is going to shift to be more vertical? Like, what what are the implications really with that in terms of hiring, too? I find it so hard to believe that the people who would excel at being maybe like a junior associate working with AI would excel at being a partner, right? Because being a partner is a very social profession, right? Like you're there 
yes, you check off some work and you make sure people are doing what they need to do, but your primary reason for employment is like bringing in clients and, you know, maintaining rapport with clients. And I just don't feel like the AI nerds who would excel at being a junior associate are going to be that great at uh, the social aspect of it. I also find it hard to believe, not exactly for the same reason, but I feel like the people who are in the positions of power right now, the partners, the managing partners, I don't think that they will be as inclined to include that much of AI as maybe like the next generation. So like maybe when we're heading towards partner and things like that, maybe it'll change around then. But I feel like right now we're not going to see that even if we do end up seeing it just because it's like the old white men who are still in those positions. And I say this because I went to um, an AI lunch for the city's tax club on Monday of this week. And we had a talk about the tax AI like generator thing because they made a specific one in Canada just for tax law. Mm -hmm. And we had a presentation about it and everybody in there was like, no, like, we're never going to use this. Like, this is not, this is not the vibe because they like want people to do the work. They don't trust the computers. And I was like, this is so interesting. Yeah. No, my, uh, the managing partner at my office in New York doesn't even do red lines on like Microsoft Word track, track changes. Like you have to go to his office and pick up his physical red pen, red lines on your stuff. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah, so I, I think there's definitely going to be that kind of pushback from that generation. I also think another problem with the whole pyramid to tower theory is the fact that law firms operate on this pyramid model, not just because of the profitability of infinite scaling. You know, when you ha have more juniors, you just make more money, you know, as long as you have work for them to do. But also the training that's required to become a senior associate and a partner will just fall by the wayside. And this kind of upper out mentality that a lot of these firms have by the time you reach your sixth or seventh year, where if you're not on partner track, they kind of just push you out naturally. Um, that's going to, you, you know, like, how does, how does this really affect that? Because are we, are we really getting the best and brightest juniors if we, if we don't have a lot to pick from at the bottom and how are those juniors going to be trained to even become partner or a senior associate if they're just being trained purely off of AI? So that that's something to consider as well. Yeah. yeah. And then also, how is our law school training going to be influenced by AI to the point where, like, once people who are a couple years behind us, where and when are they going to get that AI training? You know, like, are they going to get it in the summers? Are the firms going to expect it? Like, what might that expectation be even? Yeah. And I also just think clients don't want to pay for you to tell them, oh, yeah, we ran it through this software. It took 30 seconds. And uh, we have the answer to all your problems because that's what that's what big law firms especially sell to these clients. We're selling answers for very complicated matters, and these clients are not the kinds of clients that'll be okay with just like, oh yeah, like it's all solved. That's perfect. Like this is this isn't a traffic traffic ticket that will just be solved by like one defense from some AI app or something because that exists too. Yeah, I think. Uh, on top of like not wanting to pay for that kind of work, I just think clients are going to be distrustful of it generally. I mean, think about the kinds of clients that big law firms are representing. You know, maybe the tech the tech companies would be more willing to like 
work with it. But I mean, if you're representing like a fucking baseball team, they just started using AI in their statistics and they don't even really believe in that shit. So like, I just can't imagine that they're going to trust like AI over a person and like a human touch to the work. I mean, that goes into the whole like skepticism section. Like so many people are skeptical of it and its use. Cause I don't know. I like, I see it's used so greatly in like smaller things, but I think once issues get too complicated, it's just, it's just not it. Like people are just not going to go for it. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I, I, mean, I don't want to be too critical of it. I think there's probably some good use for it, but I think that a lot of the good use for it is likely not going to be at the big law level. Like, I think me and Ed talked a bit about this before. If we're really going to be using AI as this, like, way to easily answer legal questions, it should be used for, like, legal aid organizations and, like, helping indigent people who can't afford representation. Um, Because we all know, like, legal aid organizations are massively underfunded, massively understaffed, and could really benefit from these types of efficiencies. And, um, you know, a lot of the issues they handle, I do like expunctions. I'm sure that an AI could put out an expunction form very quickly and get it right. So I just think like maybe we're not framing how AI could be used in the legal field well, because we, as always, are just like way too fucking focused on big law. That's true too. Like focusing on the top band of the profession when like the majority of the profession is not, you know, really operating up there, that that's important to recognize too, because a lot of these, you know, legal aid organizations are providing a service that is a pretty simple service, but it's something that like people could not do on their own. Yeah. Um, And these, these, the cost, the the barrier to entry is is really high for people because these are these are people that you know are coming from a low socioeconomic background, et cetera. So um AI can be super, super useful for these kinds of use use cases. And um yeah, that's something to definitely take into account. Yeah, I agree. My externship is in eviction defense. So it's pretty like straightforward to almost every single thing we attend. And um there's one sector that's like eviction free like and then the city so I went with one of those attorneys and I was asking her like how many clients do you have at once like what's what's kind of your situation and the grant that she's working under is a volume grant so she has to take on as many clients as she possibly can so typically she has like 200 at once because I was helping her with something and I asked her a specific question like, like oh I think if we have this information, this could help a lot. And she was like, like, I don't have time to meet with that client again. Like, we just have to go to court and like, see what we can do. And I was like, oh, okay. Like if there were, if AI was being used for that, like a client could potentially know like what types of documentation, all of the things to bring in without like attorneys having to meet with them so much, give them lists of things to bring in. Like you don't know what's going to be helpful. So if there was like, if people were using the system to find out what would be helpful to them, even if they don't know their arguments, their defenses, like it would make things a lot faster too. 
I definitely think that that's going to be true, especially with, I mean, I think it will affect how grants work because so many grants coming from state level and federal level for legal aid organizations are volume based. Um, but it, there are the people who really need this, right? Big law doesn't. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with that. And, you know, Soph brought up a good point just in terms of the client communication side of things. I feel like a lot of lawyers' time, especially in like these high volume kind of um, formats is is spent like doing intake on data and things like that, routine client inquiries and, you know, providing basic legal information. And all of that can be automated to an extent and it can be reviewed, but all of that time spent not doing that intake is is time that can be spent, you know, helping out the community in various ways, you know, through that organization, doing something else or just going through more people because there's obviously a high need for this and they have to turn people away sometimes, et cetera. Yeah. yeah. Not even um, AI based, but general technology. So everything in Wake County, that's um, the Raleigh, North Carolina County that I've worked in. All of their criminal courts have been physical files up until this week. Um, they moved to an e-courts filing system this week. Um, and the clerks walked out in protest because it's that bad. Oh. It was supposed to go into place in October. And there were just like a ton of issues. It was showing like defense attorneys um, only like partial information. It wanted to them like the complete criminal record if things had been expunged. And there were just like a ton of issues with it. And none of the attorneys know how to use it, even though they've offered like so many trainings on it. Um, and just like, it's literally just like digital filing of court records. Like it's not even learning how to use AI. So I just, I can't imagine widespread use of AI in like 10 years, like some people are predicting. Yeah, it's tough to think about, especially just like with the older generation of attorneys, um, them even being interested in learning because it's, you know, this is a, it's a lot. Like even when I show my friends what chat GPT can do, and we'll talk about this later, just for law students in general and like the implications for law students, but like they're amazed and they don't really even know how to use it. They're like, how do I speak to it? What do I do? Like, is it going to give me this response? Is it going to give me that response? And imagine that in a setting that's not only with someone who's of a different generation, but also a lot higher stakes than just a law school paper or response. Like this is like people's lives at stake. We're testing new technology on it instead of something that's tried and true. I mean, that's definitely a salient argument against it, you know, and, and, and adoption of something before it's ready could have really bad, you know, consequences. Really bad. And yeah, that gets into, I really want to talk about like the ethical implications of lawyers starting to use AI because it just seems, I, I just don't understand how this isn't the main issue that we're talking about um, with people. So I think some people have touched on the fact that this would encourage like a lot of unauthorized practice of law. Um, like we said, indigent people, people who can't afford attorneys could use this kind of technology to 
um, help them out when it comes to things like evictions and expunctions and things that legal aid organizations would typically use. But I also can foresee a future where like non-lawyers start charging people less than what lawyers would charge to use ChatGPT to do the same work. And that's just going to be like, not good. Not good. Not good at all. And that, and that's an issue too. I, I think I think AI has this ability to instill a false sense of confidence in people that really do not know what they're doing. I mean, even even attorneys, but also like people that aren't in law school, people that aren't practicing law, they'll ask like a GPT three model, like a legal question, and they'll think that it's just perfect. Um, and there was this there was this news story about. Um, this company called Do Not Pay, and their founder, Joshua Browder, has now received threats from state bar prosecutors about potential legal action because they were planning on bringing their robot lawyer into the courtroom and having it in an AirPod where it would be listening and using OpenAI's ChatGPT chatbot where the client or the client could use it or the attorney would hear the responses from the judge in the AirPods and then hear the response back from chat GPT and then repeat exactly what it just said in front of the judge. And in fact, they offered someone a million dollars to do this in front of the Supreme Court. And obviously no one took them up on it. No. But, um, you know, they call it the world's first robot lawyer. But this is just the kinds of like stunts and things that we're going to see more and more of when when AI just becomes adopted. But that story really spoke to me as like, the quintessential thing that we don't want to happen in the profession. We don't want to gamify litigation results based around like a new and emerging technology. And we also don't want corporate interests leaking into the courtroom because they want to test their new chat bot or their new subscription plan or something like that. I mean, it, this is really, really ridiculous. And obviously there are ways that AI can be used to help people, as we discussed earlier, in terms of barrier to entry costs and stuff like that. But that that specifically was absolutely ridiculous to read about. That's wild. That also really rubs me the wrong way. Because mm-hmm. like that is recording all of the audio that's happening in a courtroom, which we like generally don't allow. Um and I the criminal defense attorney in me really doesn't fucking like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently he was gonna use the hearing accessibility standards as a loophole which would allow the client to wear the airpods during the trial that's what that's what they were talking about uh, cool yeah. so we're just going to also like give people even more reason to like fuck with disabled people awesome exactly i mean these people need, awesome. need the accommodations so yeah so I mean, bizarre The other, I think, ethical issue is just like, we talked about clients are not going to want to pay for this. Clients are going to be distrustful. And then I think as soon as anything goes wrong, there's going to be a malpractice suit. And we don't have, we don't have anything in our ethical code about using AI. We don't have anything, any case law about whether lawyers can use this effectively. It's going to it's going to be a mess. And I think that like, if you are a client, 
like being one of the first to test this out and it goes wrong for you, of course you're going to sue. Like, what else would you do? Yeah, Yeah, it's it's incredibly, you know, difficult to even think about this and not even I'm even thinking of the instances where lawyers will not tell their clients that they're using this, but they are. And they're just billing the same amount that they normally would for for this kind of standard issue, whatever the client brought to it, whether it was a contract to be drafted, something to be filed with the court. But then they're just using chat GPT to go through it in, in a few minutes instead of multiple hours. And the client is, you know, suffering as a, as a result of this lawyer using AI, you know, in an unauthorized way, you know, violating, you know, various rules of professional responsibility, I'm sure. But like, like Brianne just said, we really don't know um, where that'll even fall. Yeah, there was a question in the, in the lunch that I attended where somebody asked, where like is all of the information that is being input into this AI stored. Like if somebody is asking extremely specific questions about somebody's case, like where is the guarantee that that's not going somewhere where it's going to get misused, mishandled, used unethically? Like where's the guarantee on that, you know? I also just think when it comes to litigation, if I'm like a defense attorney, right? And I know that the plaintiff is using ChatGPT. Can I not just feed ChatGPT exactly what I think the plaintiff would feed it and then know exactly what they're going to give me? Yeah. Exactly. It's the war of the AIs in the courtroom, you know? <laughs> it just feels so stupid. It's not even it's not even attorneys anymore. It's just whoever has the best AI and whoever subscribe to the best subscription plan because um open ai just released their new i don't know what they're calling it chat gpt pro or something like that it's basically uh you don't have any wait time so a big thing on chat gpt right now is you know around midday all of the college students are logged on to it at once and so you can't use it um and now they're offering 20 dollars a month but i think and i know that this is not just for consumers this is going to be implemented at the enterprise level firms are going to have a subscription to this just like they do westlaw it's going to be yet another cost for clients you know amount of minutes used on chat gpt like i don't know but something interesting to think about i feel like we should have just stuck ai with the like little 20 questions toys you know those like <laughs> 20 questions toys yeah that was the peak of AI for me personally. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That kind of that kind of AI is fine with me, but this <laughs> this is a I little too much. It's hard because we go through all this training to learn all of these skills, to be able to analyze, to be able to write, to be able to give answers, to be able to explain when there's not an answer, but we can figure out how to somehow get close. Like these are all skills that we have to learn in school, have to learn working, have to learn in practice. And I feel like AI could potentially and might take that creativity away from the process. Like, because that is really what the clients are paying for. Like they're paying for our experience, our expertise, our, the way that we think our problem solving. And it's like, if AI is trained to problem solve a certain way, like, I feel like there's always going to be gaps. And I mean, that's the point in it, like getting trained and getting used by people and people asking questions while it's still free. But I don't know, like that part of like the I don't know whether it's like authenticity, like authenticity of the legal field, I feel like might get a little lost. 
Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a service profession, right? We're providing a service and people need that face-to-face contact. I mean, I know it's been in recent years, a little bit less so with Zoom and everything, but I really do think clients value that face-to-face human connection. And that's what they're paying for, especially, you know, in the in the firm context. And even not in the firm context, I mean, think of how an indigent, an indigent client would, would feel if, if you just told them their entire case was just handled by chat GPT. And you're just going to use all the arguments and you didn't make any edits. You know, you, you just signed the dotted line at the bottom for all of the motions. So I don't know how they would feel either. You know, this is a, this is a big deal. Yeah. I mean, I think that when it comes to indigent clients, cause that's where I have most of my experience. Um, someone like an eviction client or an expunction client, they might be okay with like, hey, we used AI to produce this document that we're going to send into the court. The amount of times I have been called a public pretender by a criminal defendant, I can't even imagine how bad that would be if you were using AI with them. They would not, they would absolutely think, there would be conspiracy theories. They already think that we're working with the prosecutors. I have to tell them explicitly, like, I don't know how to tell you that I dislike the prosecutors more than you do. Um, It just, it wouldn't be good for client relations at all. Plus, I feel like, especially in legal aid situations, like, there's already templates for everything most of the time. So it's like, because of it being volume-based, you're already plugging information into the templates. Like it's already very standardized and then you choose your arguments that you're going to fill in. So it's like, it's already a very like plug and chug process. So like, imagine if there's like no human element involved, like instead of like you listening, taking their argument, figuring it out with the evidence that they have, it's just like, yeah, we threw it all in here and this is what it said. And this is what I filed. And now we're going to go to court and see what happens. It's like, okay, you didn't write any of that. I don't know if this is the case with you, Soph, but in North Carolina, our legal aid organization services all of our counties. So when I'm doing expunction work, I'm doing it for any county in North Carolina. And what we do on a specific file can change dependent on county because the clerks in a certain county will have a preference for it to be phrased like this. Mm-hmm. And there's just no way for AI to be able to know that and adapt to that. Right, right. Or even the judges, like yeah. you're going to get the same judge like almost every single time in certain small claims cases. Like you're going to be perpetually seeing the same judge or the same commissioner. You're going to be put forth against the same like plaintiff's attorneys for landlords. Like yeah. Those are relationships that you build with those people, even if they're adversarial to you, like you are still building those and creating a camaraderie. So when you have a client who you're like, if you give this person a judgment, they're literally never going to be able to pay. Right. So you might as well just not. And it's like, that's like, what is AI going to like do with that? I don't know. Yeah. And just so much of it is like, I, in public defense, I could walk into a courtroom and be like, all right, that argument I was planning on making, I'm no longer making because it's this judge or it's this prosecutor. Or I can tell you, oh, well, so-and-so is the prosecutor on this case. So I'm going to go make a first amendment argument to him because I know he is a really big first amendment nerd. And there's just so much of that personal touch 
that is like absolutely necessary in a lot of, I think, district court level stuff that is missing. Yeah, and the over-reliance on it, once again, is just going to really hurt clients in the long run. And like, even in the criminal context with public defenders, I mean, they're, they're already so strapped just in terms of funding, just in terms of time and resources. Imagine like the state says, hey, we have this new AI tool for you. This should help you out. And they don't give you any extra funding, but they give you a chat GPT. <laughs> and they're like, oh, this is going to help you just like whiz through cases. And then what do you have there? You have like a Sixth Amendment thing because, you know, are you really adequately representing your clients? Like, I don't know. Um, is that really adequate? Right. Not. Yeah. I think there's also this funny tweet. Let me pull it up. I don't know if you guys follow this girl at Ken Panic Now on Twitter. I try to stay off law Twitter for a lot of reasons, but she always comes up on my Twitter. And she tweeted, like, what if AI replaces lawyers? Bro, Wessel put a red flag on a SCOTUS case because the Southern District Court of Wyoming was kind of like not. And that to me is like one of the biggest issues because there's no way for you to like teach an AI how to assess these kinds of like really small nuances in the legal field. There are things that the AI that we use currently when it comes to research will flag and you like see it and you roll your eyes because it's just inaccurate. Or it's not like the analysis that gets flagged. Like it's something that you could actually use and something else got flagged and like you don't know until you read it. Right. Yeah. And, you know, the companies would probably just to steel man a little bit, you know, I think the companies will come back and say, well, we'll integrate it and it'll slowly learn. And, you know, eventually you'll be able to rely on it. But then do people really want to work with that? do people really want to rely on that instead of relying on just, I don't know, learning it yourself? I mean, isn't that like the entire point of like why we're here is to, to learn it ourselves and actually provide some value instead of having this over-reliance on, on something? Yeah. Right. Speaking of learning, let's talk about AI in law schools because I just, but if we're going to use AI in the legal field, fine. I think we'll use AI in the legal field a lot longer before we use AI in law schools. I just don't see it being a possibility. Yeah. I mean, that TikTok that you sent me last night, that was like a school's honor code, literally put it in there, like, do not use chat GPT. Like, yeah. I don't know if it said like, we'll be checking or whatever, but it was like, do not use it. But like, how are they going to know? Like, are they going to look through the metadata of the document you submit to see whether you copied and pasted like large sections? Like, what are they going to do? I have yeah, no it's idea. definitely a difficult thing to do, like answer because these language learning models are, are not easy to catch. They're not copying and pasting from Google. They're just not. That's not how the model works. It's, it's actually writing it. And I think when you tell people that at first, they're like, no, 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 there's no way. But then you tell five people to ask ChatGPT the same question, it's going to give you five different results. And you put it into a plagiarism checker, you're not going to get a lot of plagiarism, if any, unless it's referencing something directly. And you can ask it to rewrite it in different ways, or 
you can use all the time you save that two hours that you save not having to write it and just use your own wording. And then magically, you're never going to get caught. So these chat GPT rules that law schools are all going to implement, like for instance, my professor at my school in the AI class is tasked with that right now. He's the, he's the guy that's going to develop the guidelines for the school. Um, I don't know. And he has mixed feelings about it, right? Because, you know, curriculum wise, you know, law schools are probably going to need to adjust it to include more training on AI and its applications, because if they're not doing that, they're, they're not really preparing us for what the future entails. I mean, we don't have to prepare people to be completely replaced, but we should prepare them to use the tools. Just like we have all of these classes on like, you know, legal research and writing, like every first year law student around the country has to learn how to use Westlaw or Lexis. And so this is just going to be another tool. Yeah, I think especially with legal writing and using Lexis and Westlaw, there are resources on Lexis and Westlaw that are more akin to AI that we're not taught how to use, right? Like there are those resources on Lexis where you can like input your memo and it will like give you a bunch of recommendations and we're not taught to use them at all. And they have been around for quite some time. So it just feels so, um, so far off for us to ever learn how to use AI in order to assist our legal writing. Yeah. And like the issue here is we have this whole backbone of the law school structure, which is like the Socratic method. And then if you have any questions after the Socratic method, you go to your professor afterwards, see them during office hours. But, you know, what my professor said the other day was, why would a student go see a professor during office hours or even ask any questions at all if they can just talk to chat GPT and figure it out that way? I mean, they don't have to travel all the way over there. They don't have to book a time slot. And the answer, especially in some of these like early on classes where the case law is so developed and nothing's really changing anytime soon, it's going to give pretty much the same answer. And also you can ask it clarifying questions because let's be honest, some law professors are absolutely awful at answering questions and they make you feel embarrassed and bad about yourself when you don't know the answer to a question they've been teaching 30 years on. So, you know, it's just another thing to consider too. Yeah, I feel like it's wild. I feel like it's, I don't know, it's like a robot in here. (laughs) (laughs) It's so, I don't know, because it's like, it is our reality. It is how things are transforming right now, but it still feels like so dystopian. Like it's it exists, it is existing, and it will continue to exist, but like in what form, we don't know. It's wild. Yeah. I don't know. I just think like, People are talking about it like it's going to have this massive effect in the next 10 years. And if you go and talk to like a random professor at a law school, they're just like, Ed, can you imagine Professor Gene Nickel teaching AI in his con law class? Like that man doesn't know how to use an email. Yeah, exactly. He, oh, that's a generational gap too, you know? 
Yeah. Professor Gene Nickel has never used a PowerPoint in his life. What? He just lectures? Like, has no Yeah, he just lectures. No notes in front of him. He does it off the top of his head because he's a fucking genius. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, there are a few of those at UNC that are like that. And I'm sure at other schools, there are lots of professors that would have no interest in implementing any kind of AI coursework or any kind of, like, you know, let's let's give students the the tools they need to adapt to the changing legal landscape. Like there are, I don't think they're necessarily that interested in that. And so that generational gap that we talked about earlier with firms follows right into law school because guess what? A lot of these professors worked at those firms, you know. So yeah, my uh, corporate tax professor, who was who I went to that tax lunch with with the AI. Um, that class is purely written. You cannot have any electronic devices unless you have accommodations. And our final is also handwritten. So like everything in his class is by hand. He writes on the whiteboard. He comes in with his notes, with his extra problem sets, and it goes up on the board, if anything. Otherwise, he's just talking. Like he is not about it. And I'm like, you're the president of this club. And you like, and you had them come talk to us, and you're not even interested in it at all. It was funny. Handwritten final—that's insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I don't think I've ever heard anything like that before. Yeah, we get like we get two blue books, and we have to handwrite everything. That's how our um, fundamentals of income tax final was too. So, jeez, yeah, I de- I dealt with that in undergrad, but never in law school. I think we can just, the takeaway is just like, we're really glad that we're graduating law school and we are, and <laughs> and uh, are not going to have our jobs replaced by AIs. Yes. And we will learn the actual skills that we need. And then whatever happens, happens. We'll already have the skills because we'll have gone to school when we learned them. <laughs> yeah. We're the last generation <laughs> of actually learning the law. That's That's what it comes down to. <laughs> And then we can just be like old people making fun of the kids for using AI. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I, remember I had to type out my memo. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all for this week's episode of The In-Laws. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at The In-Laws Pod. We post these full-length episodes every Wednesday morning at 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So make sure to follow and rate the pod throw whichever streaming service you're listening on. Talk to you next week. Also, don't forget to follow Ed. Yeah, I'll put his his stuff in our description box. Appreciate it. This was really fun, guys. Thank you. Okay, bye.